You're listening to the You Mentor Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al Sayed. The You Mentor team wishes you and your families a happy new year. It is our first show of 2020, and we can't wait to see what new journeys this year's speakers will take us on. The new year also means we are this much closer to Emoji Games 2020. But the big question is now are you ready? If your answer is yes, don't forget to email academy at umojaoutreach.org or visit our website at umojaoutreach.org slash games for more information. This week's show is brought to you by Next Micro. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts to learn from their career journeys as professionals in their fields. Tune in every week on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the advice of these professionals. And remember, if you have any questions for the panelists, you can always leave them in the comments section. On today's show, we have Nazneen Fatima Rajani. Nazneen is a research scientist who opens the black box of deep learning and makes artificial intelligence transparent and trustworthy. Nazneen, assalamu alaikum. How are you? Oh, it seems that we lost you there. Hello. Hello, Salaam alaikum. How are you? Wa alaikum assalam. Alhamdulillah, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I think we've talked about artificial intelligence before, but not in this way. So I'm excited for people to hear about what you do. Thank you. Um, so if we can start off by literally just telling us what in which uh, realm you work within the EAI industry. Yes, so uh, artificial intelligence, like you said, is like this big umbrella mm -hmm. that covers a lot of different areas. And so uh, my interests lie particularly in uh, NLP or natural language processing, which is about uh, like, you know, teaching or training uh, robots slash computers to understand, uh, you know, how humans interact so that they can interact more seamlessly in natural language. So natural language meaning the way we speak? Yes, so natural language is any language that humans talk to each other. So it can be English or Swahili or any other such languages uh, that, that have evolved over the years and that humans communicate to each other with. Interesting. Um, and the work that you do, um, what's the most difficult part of what you do currently? Uh, the most difficult part I would say is basically because I'm in a research position. Mm -hmm. uh, so my role is a research scientist. So what we do is like, uh, you know, come up with ideas to basically do cutting edge research and to like push forward the field of AI. And mm -hmm. so I guess uh, like that very thing, like coming up with ideas and brainstorming ideas that no one else is thinking about, but also keeping in mind that that would be impactful to humanity is like, you know, something that is the most difficult thing is like, you know, how we can like, given that we are like, you know, advancing at such a fast pace, then, you know, how do we still come up with like these ideas that can have big impacts? Yeah, especially in an industry, which like you said, is so fast paced and it's something that's so evolving. Um, you really have to be on the ball. So how do you keep up? 
Yes. So I guess uh, that is like the big part of my day-to-day -day life also goes into like, you know, just reading about the latest research. And for that, I look at, you know, white papers or papers published by other, mm -hmm. other people in like similar areas and like reading about or like, uh, you know, what, what is going on the latest in the field of uh, NLP and AI and what are like the new neural network architectures or models and like uh, just keeping up with like different data sets that are coming out. Mm -hmm. So like I said, because I work in natural language, there are so many low resource data sets, like, uh, you know, some universities or uh, teams and in industries, they put together a lot of efforts and spend a lot of money to like annotate these data, these uh, low resource languages so that they don't die out. And we have machines that have like seen like, you know, some of some, at least some literature from these languages as well. So like just keeping up with those things and reading about them is like where, you know, I spend most of my time doing. Yeah. And that's a really good way to keep up, uh, just keeping yourself educated all the time. Um, so I want to work back to what first got you into uh, this field. What was your inspiration? Uh, I would say uh, my father was the biggest factor or my inspiration behind it. Uh, so my father uh, is an electrical engineer and uh, it, like when I was a child, he used to assemble computers and that was his business, like assembling computers and selling them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, he used to like get a lot of these parts and devices at home. And, you know, we used to sit together and used to tell me about, you know, what computers are. And uh, like at that time, obviously like they didn't have that much memory or computational power to do much uh, uh, computation that we see right now that is mm -hmm. required but it at least like inspired me and showed me and at that time I was maybe just playing games on the computer but it, it gave me a lot of like insights into like oh what goes on into it and then after that in my undergrad um, we had uh, uh, a choice of taking some electives which is something like you know you can take courses that you're interested in and so I took uh, artificial intelligence and neural networks uh, and the same semester and mm -hmm. I think that kind of like really helped me in getting interested and like it pushed me to think about uh, how we actually like how we can like design algorithms that can teach computers on how to like you know make these smart decisions or find patterns in data mm -hmm. so that they can predict you know what's going to happen next. What was the uh, what types of projects did you work on in that uh, year? Right. So at that time, uh, since I was just a sophomore in college, uh, I uh, I made this like really cute tic-tac-toe game uh, using, you know, this AI algorithm called Neural Network. And so uh, it was like, it was like really small, like now that I look at it, but then it was a really big thing then that at that time, because I could guarantee anyone that, oh, this com you can never defeat this computer in this game. And mm -hmm. that kind of like made, gave me a sense of accomplishment and pride at that time. And it was like just amazing how like, you know, there are so many possible combinations for tic-tac-toe. So uh, the tic-tac-toe I built at that time was not, not just three cross three, but it could be like any N cross N, like bigger, uh, uh, this also uh, puzzle as well. So then I was like, uh, it was kind of like, wow, if I could give that guarantee that, oh, this is never going to get defeated uh, by just using the simple algorithm, it was just mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, oh, what all else can it accomplish? And it was just like amazing to like just think and think about all the different things that I could do by like, you know, teaching these machines to like learn and uh, predict and make decisions. Mm -hmm. 
And that's so cool being able to say, oh, I, you, you can never beat me, you know, because I created this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what did you study? How did you uh, continue your education? I know that you uh, began in India and then you moved to the States later on. Right. So, yes, I did my undergrad in information systems in India. And uh, right after that, I um, came to the U.S. Uh, in Austin, Texas for my graduate school. And I first did my master's in computer science. And then I, I continued with a Ph.D. and I graduated in 2018. OK. Um, and how was that process applying for your master's uh, program yes. from outside the country? Uh, yeah, so uh, at the, so the process was kind of like a really long one, uh, but uh, I was uh, really uh, you know lucky to have a lot of mentorship from my other peers and you know other seniors or like alumni from my university who had already gone through the process. So you, I had to do the GRE, take the uh, the TOEFL, which is like the English exam, and then uh, like write the statement of purpose and all that. Uh, but also like you know apply to university in like like a broad spectrum ones that are like mm -hmm. you know really ones that I really want to go to like the top tier ones but also like some some of them which are like more safer that I can say that oh this is like if I don't get those at least I can like have like select yeah. one of these so that I don't waste a year and you know applying again or something. Mm -hmm. And if you do apply to those safe options you know for sure that you will get at least an opportunity. Yes exactly so I know that uh, yes if like you know if I decide to like you know go for my master's and then I'm like okay at least I know I, I have this option. Yeah okay and you continued your PhD afterwards uh, what did your uh, PhD entail what was it on? Yes so uh, my uh, my PhD uh, was in uh, natural language processing as well so mm -hmm. it was uh, initially I was working more on question answering systems. So uh, basically, if you ask, like, you know, say, who was the 44th president of the United States to a computer, mm -hmm. then how would it come up with that answer? Like, so when you Google that, like Google has this thing that you don't have to like, you know, go and click on the first search result to show that, mm -hmm. but it actually gives you right away that, oh, this is the answer, right? Or like, okay. you know, Alexa and Siri and all that, like these, uh, uh, like dialogue systems also have these ability to do that. And the way we do that is something called like slot filling and uh, knowledge bases, which is basically if you know, like Wikipedia, it has this like info box on the right hand side, which kind of like tells you that, oh, all the relations about that person or in the Wikipedia article, like, you know, when he was born, what's place of birth, his you know family members, information and all that. So like, you know, coming like, you know, automatically filling those box ups for like a bunch of entities is how like, you know, Google and all these other uh, systems are able to come up with an answer that is like really like direct instead of like pointing you to something where mm -hmm. you can find the answer. And, and within your line of work, you are in the process of explaining how uh, AI technology came to different predictions. Can you explain a little bit about that? 
Yes, so uh, since 2012, when uh, computers uh, became really powerful, like we could be able to do like a lot of lot more computation than we were able to uh, a decade ago. So now we are able to like have these really big uh, networks that that are like you know called neural networks that can that have like millions of parameters or like you know you can imagine them to be like knobs like that mm -hmm. you can tune or like you know uh, you can adjust so that it makes a prediction that is something that is desirable. So like if I ask like you know what color is a cat what color is this cat and I show it a picture then you know it tries to make the prediction. However, like since 2012, even though like these AI systems had made these groundbreaking success, at least in natural language processing and computer vision, which is which deals with like images and videos, we like we don't know why they make those predictions. So even like us as researchers, because I said there are like these so many millions of knobs, it's really hard to inspect every element or every knob and see, oh, like what if I just change this a little bit? Will my prediction change? And so because that's like almost impossible and to do that on like so many thousands of instances or thousands of examples uh, mm -hmm. it's like it's um that is the reason why they are called black boxes they have been successful but we don't know why they make those predictions and so that is why they like you know we label these neural networks as black boxes and so what my work right now is on like you know how we can like make these uh, like sort of like open the black box of deep learning and how we can make these AI models that are doing really well also explain like how they came up with that prediction or why they are like you know making those predictions so uh, like one way of doing it is basically like you know trying to like you know trying to bake the system so I try to like you know try to show it examples that I know that oh it will definitely go wrong in this and like when I test the limits and I say that oh now I know like you know okay it will definitely not work on some of these examples so mm -hmm. but like the, again like coming up with those examples is also like of probes is like really hard and yeah. I think like especially uh, like AI deployed in crucial applications like uh, medical diagnosis or uh, autonomous cars, uh, it, it's like it's very, very hard to like, you know, have these systems which are black boxes and be able to trust them because uh, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna, like, if the AI system makes a prediction that this person has cancer, it's like a life-changing thing, right? So, mm -hmm. so the it's like so the doctor should know that. Oh, what's the reason behind why? Like, why did why is the system saying that, and how did it come to that uh, prediction? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean they're right or wrong. It just means that you're not sure um, whether the prediction is accurate. Yes, mm -hmm. uh, like yeah, and also like you know, like how like maybe it is like you know for some of those obvious cases it might be accurate, but how do I know at what point would it fail? Yeah. How do you know when they're predicting the unknown, basically, right. is correct, yeah. right? Yeah, the uncertainty. Yeah. And you are, I have to mention this, you are leading this effort, right? Yes, I am at Salesforce Research. And that's amazing. Uh, it's your first year uh, after graduating and finishing your studies. And you are already leading this effort, which is so amazing. Um, I think uh, we should, we're all very proud of uh, your accomplishments. So um, keep doing your great work. Thank you. Yes, alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Um, can you describe a day in the life of your job? I know that you talked a lot about, you know, what you do and how you do it, but tell us how a day looks for you. Yes. So uh, 
in the mornings, uh, mostly uh, when I go when I go to work, uh, like I said, I kind of like skimmed through a lot of uh, papers that were published. Like so, uh, you know, because like this field is so fast paced, as I mentioned, like there are like at least tens of papers like you know put up online every single day from like top universities and industries. So uh, the, mm-hmm. in the morning, I just came to like some things that is relevant to me and like see that oh, which of these are interesting and important and sort of put it in my like to read list of papers. And after that, like I uh, catch up with like the emails that I have, which is basically mainly to do with meetings for my team and setting up like ideas on. Uh, to brainstorm the next projects. So which are mainly to do with, uh, so like I said, we try to focus on something that is like highly impactful. So uh, so projects that are mainly like, you know, gonna have a very long-term effect on society is something that we discussed. So like doing that, like we have to deal with a lot of things like data sets. And so especially in the medical domain, it's hard to like, you know, Uh, get data sets to work with even though we are doing it from a very scientific perspective and only for research purposes Uh, it's hard to like get these data because of like a lot of these uh, like legal issues and compliance Mm -hmm. issues and so on so like you know coming up with ways or like you know finding or thinking of ideas on how we can like you know accomplish what we want to or do our research but you know also being in that kind of like you know the legal framework with, mm-hmm. of it. And so uh, those are some of the things I, uh, I take care of. And then I also spend like uh, a good amount of time, like, you know, just doing the math behind the algorithm, like the algorithms that go mm-hmm. into uh, these AI systems. And finally also like uh, a good part of my work, I would say like 30 to 40% is just coding those algorithms and uh, making them run on uh, GPUs. So GPUs are just like, well, more faster versions of CPUs. And mm-hmm. uh, at Salesforce, we we rent out the Google's GPUs. So um, yeah, just like, you know, putting algorithms on Google's cloud and running it on that. And how many hours would you say you work in a day or a week? Uh, well, it depends a lot because uh, we have these uh, conference deadlines, which are deadlines for if you want to like publish a paper and you want like uh, people to know about it, then uh, we, we work around these conference deadlines, which are strict deadlines and that happen like two or three times in a year, mm-hmm. at least for NLP. And so uh, we uh, like around the deadline, obviously the month leading up to the deadline and the week before the deadline is like very hectic. Like if I have to even yeah. work on weekends, but then uh, like now, like there's not like any close deadline. It's like more relatively um, not that much work. And so I can like even take off early and like, you know, just go from like eight to three or like eight to four. Mm-hmm. And you're a mother. So how do you balance your time at home and work? Yes. So uh, I, uh, you know, so like the reason, one of the main reasons behind, like, you know, for me doing my PhD, apart from obviously the case that I was like really interested in uh, pursuing a PhD was that um, I knew that, you know, I had to like, you know, I wanted to like spend time with when eventually when I have a child. And so uh, I felt like, you know, doing a PhD would be really helpful in the sense that, uh, you know, because now that you are like kind of an expert in your field, like even if you take a break for a few months or like, you know, a few years, then you can like always go back because like, I mean, there's nothing beyond a PhD, right? Like, you know, you just like don't have like as much experience, but then yeah. obviously you're like still like at the like cutting edge of what's going still on relevant in that time yeah yes exactly so that was kind of like my a major uh, factor for me as well 
Um, so uh, I can already like, you know, see the payoffs for that. Like I'm uh, like, Alhamdulillah, like I'm able to like work flexibly and like even take my, uh, take my daughter with me whenever I'm traveling for conferences to present my work or to give uh, invited talks to um, like, you know, uh, other universities or other conferences. Yeah. Um, and is your husband's job also demanding? Uh, so the, like I think we have been lucky with that as well. So uh, initially, when uh, when I was uh, doing my PhD and when I was I was in uh, school, uh, I used to mainly work from home, and my husband was. Uh, going to work every day but now we kind of like switched for a little bit and now uh, he's able to work remotely most of the times although he has to go uh, some some days of the week mm -hmm. but uh, that way like you know we have this sort of understanding that you know okay one like you know for a few hours like I focus on my career and then he focuses yeah. on his and that's so amazing because you're both excelling together you're both growing together um, each person is getting to fulfill you know their their careers and their needs in that area as well yes i think we have been very lucky in that case yeah it's very admirable admirable um can you describe a project you're working on for us yes so one of the projects that i did last year was on uh, common sense reasoning so the thing is, uh, like these AI systems don't have common sense reasoning like us humans, because obviously they don't live in the world like like us, right? So, for example, if I ask you what will happen if I push this glass off the table, and you would say it will fall down, like it's so obvious. And if I ask yeah. you why, and you will say gravity. And that's kind of like, oh, no, like, you know, obviously, like, you know, so it's so such a common sense for us. But guess what? Like these AI systems don't know that. Like they wouldn't know what will happen if I push a glass off the table because they don't live in this world. And like, I guess as like, you know, kids, even like growing up, just by observing things around our world and the way the world works, we are able to like pick up on so many things, even when people don't explicitly say that to us, right? Mm -hmm. And like these AI systems, because they're not like us humans, because they don't live like us in this world, World, they do not get this so they have to be like told explicitly how to do that so like last year there was this one uh, interesting challenge that came out which says that even these like deep learning models with like millions of parameters that I was telling you are these millions of knobs they mm -hmm. do like really badly or poorly on these some of these common sense tasks that you know you ask them what will happen if I do this or you know some of like very basic reasoning tasks but humans are like like at almost like 95 to 100% accuracy, right? And so uh, I came up with this idea of how about we first try to like, you know, have it like, you know, generate its reasoning and then try to like make the prediction. So like this goes back to this thing of like explaining why it is coming to making that prediction. So I collected a, a small set of like human reasoning. So I asked like uh, online, like MTurk, like these, uh, that's like an interface online where you can, you know, recruit people to like, you know, uh, uh, basically do a task for you and you pay them like a small amount of money. Mm -hmm. And so I asked them a bunch of these common sense tasks, like, you know, such like it's such a, for example, like what I told you. And so, uh, so like, you know, I collected some of these common sense reasoning and I trained a network to like basically learn uh, to reason on its own based on these reasoning. And surprisingly, even by giving it like just 10,000 such examples, I was able to get like reasonably good reasoning. So now if I tell you, tell it something like, uh, you know, uh, 
like for example, like some like basically if I like just tell it to like you know uh, like generate something about a candle or something, so it will say starts out saying something some common sense about it like oh you first light a candle and the candle's mm-hmm. flame is like blue or yellow and so on and the candle is generally hot and this and that and so it's basically like telling you all these like very common sense things about these objects and uh, eventually when I like you know so for every time I was asked a question to uh, like that like you know in that challenge I would first ask my system to like generate reasoning about it and then use that reasoning to make the prediction and like guess what like it was doing much better we got 10% improvement in accuracy just by doing that and oh. so like that was like a I think a really um, impactful project uh, I think so to kind of like advance the common sense reasoning and neural network mm-hmm. uh, using natural language and that's so amazing to think about that our brains can understand common sense because of the way that we've lived in this world but building in uh, building artificial intelligence it's a lot harder to teach common sense um, which is so interesting to think about yes it was fascinating yeah it really is um, so if someone wants to read more about your work I, your work is so big um, where can it be found Yes, so I have my own personal website. Uh, It's on www.nazneenrajani.com. So my first name, last name, uh, .com. And uh, it has information about my papers and also uh, videos about my talk, uh, as well as my slides. Mm -hmm. So it's all available openly. Um, So if anyone wants to take a look, uh, I think that would be the best resource. And before uh, we come to our final question, I wanted to ask you about what um, steps someone can take to get to your uh, to your field. So, what educational requirements does this field have? Uh, so, I think to work in AI. Uh, you you don't necessarily need to be even a you know to have a computer science degree. Now there are so many uh, online courses available from Coursera, Udacity, and all these uh, online uh, course websites that you can do. So they have like the basics uh, AI uh, courses, and then they have the one on like deep learning, which is like the neural network thing that I was describing. And then there's also ones on specifically for natural language processing. I know there's one from Chris Manning, the professor at Stanford uh, for natural language processing using deep learning. And all of these are available online for free. But however, if you wanna work on a very research focus, uh, the way I'm uh, working on is like thinking of like new ideas and brainstorming new projects then uh, I guess a PhD is almost a requirement for this. And so because that kind of like gives you a, like, you know, it kind of guides you and makes you go through the process of how, like, you know, how you can think of these new ideas and how, uh, you know, other people do it and like, you know, getting just like well-versed with the field and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And thank you so much. Um, One question that comes to mind, when you tell people that you, work in developing artificial intelligence do they look at you like oh my god you're building the thing that's going to take over the world <laughs> <laughs> i wish <laughs> you <robot uprising. laughs> yeah so uh, i mean at least one thing i can say for sure it's not going to happen for another 100 years <laughs> so not in our lifetime <laughs> but uh what like you know i think uh so uh, this guy is definitely a misconception for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, like AI is not gonna take away uh, our jobs, but uh, like what AI will in fact be used is will be useful for is augmenting 
human intelligence. So uh, I know like, you know, we do a lot of uh, monotone as a mundane task every day, like, you know, yeah. like making coffee or like, you know, doing all these, uh, like putting things in their place and like, you know, like even cleaning and all these like different things or like even in like our actual professional jobs, I say like, you know, if you're a nurse or a doctor, I'm like, you know, you spend a like, you know, significant amount of time just like writing out or typing, like, you know, what your patient is going through or looking at all their records and all these things. Mm-hmm. Like, like you can save so much time and actually focus on things that are important uh, and so that you can serve your, you know, your client or your customer or your patients better if you are like you know like not like spending too much time on doing these mundane uh, monotonous tasks and I think AI like in the foreseeable future is that is where it will be useful like they are going to do all these tasks which uh, for like you know as far as humans it's like you know something that is like second nature for us and like we don't think too much about there you go everyone who's wondering you heard it from the expert (laughs) um Thank you so much, Nazine, for agreeing to be here today and for telling us all about your career and your path. Um, before we come to our end, uh, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners today? Uh, I would say that uh, if you are interested in AI, then it's never too late to start. I know the field looks really crowded and it seems like everyone is trying to do AI. Uh, you can start like, you know, just by like doing online courses, like I said, and doing something uh, small and like doing your own mini project. And like, you will be surprised that, you know, how much you can do just by like starting with these small projects and doing these, uh, you know, like starting your own small, like, you know, a, like area in which you are like interested in these a- in artificial intelligence. And then from there, you can like take it big and like think of the next thing and all. So it's never too late to start. Ever, ever too late. Thank you so much, Nazim. Thank you for having me. You were just listening to the UMentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? If you want to reach out to today's speaker or speakers from any of our previous shows to ask these professionals any questions you may have, just visit our online platform at umojaoutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups or visit the UMentor website and hit the link for online platform. Thank you for listening to our speaker today on Facebook Live. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. to hear more stories from our next guests.